With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the NLP View with your host, Donna Blunston. Each week, Donna will explore how the techniques of NLP can help improve your personal and professional life. And now, here's your host, Donna Blunston. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the NLP View. My name is Donna Blinston. On today's show, I am joined by the inspiring Pamela Gawler Wright, a UKCP registered psychotherapist, neurolinguistic psychotherapist, master and certified trainer of NLP, and a clinical supervisor. On today's show, we're going to discuss the reality of trauma and how the trauma often relates to anxiety, depression, and leads into addictions. Trauma is experienced by individuals as a compulsive association into the emotions of a past negative event. Trauma is an association between a sensory event and metadata about that event. This metadata includes the event's meaning and the person's emotional responses to that meaning. The brain stores sensory memories and meanings separately. That separation allows you to change your interpretation of past events give it new meaning and generate new emotional responses. Removing metadata changes the traumatic memory into a memory of a sensory event without the trauma. Neurolinguistic programming, NLP, allows individuals to make changes at all levels of the mind, looking at areas that control your atomic habits, beliefs and behaviours. When trauma has connections to negative thoughts and beliefs in a person's past, NLP can remove the negative associations that have been attached to these memories. So I'd like to welcome to the show Pamela Gawler-Wright. Hello, Pamela. Hello, Donna. Nice to talk with you. How are you today? Oh, I'm great. It's sunny. I've been taking my dog out and uh, I've had a great uh, time already. Wonderful. Well, firstly, I want to thank you, Pamela, for joining me today on the show. I feel really privileged to talk to you. Um, the work that you do and the way you're linking the psychotherapy side is its where oh, I believe NLP should go and is going. So I guess it's a credit, really. And to know that I'm speaking to someone who is advancing it and raising it to such a professional level. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Before we start the interview, would you mind telling our audience about yourself? Yes, Donna. Um, I work for Beleaf Institute for Contemporary Psychotherapy. Uh, we're a UKCP accredited organization. Uh, for my sins, the last 20 years I've been in the position of training uh, people to become registered psychotherapists. Um, my first orientation is Ericksonian psychotherapy. And uh, I also come from an arts background. Um, so when I became aware that, that psychotherapy was my interest, finding Ericksonian work felt like coming home, really. And mm. uh, it's, it's been a joyous and very challenging journey ever since. 
in what way do you um, do you mean by being a challenging uh, journey? Is that for you, you personally, or as from um, a professional going through the psychotherapy and the acceptance of NLP, or in what way? Well, both really. Um, I think that when we're working with people, we commit ourselves to a journey of ongoing growth and challenging ourselves. Um, and in the work, we're, we're bringing ourselves into contact with those experiences of life that are often not shared as intimately um, in mm. everyday relationships. And psychotherapy is a commitment to be with people in the places that, that possibly they're not uh, showing even to themselves. Um, and I think that a, a person needs to be on a constant journey of, of growth and uh, self-reflection um, because it is a great privilege to, to be in that position with people. Mm. Um, secondly, yes, professionally, um, psychotherapy in the UK has um, been going through an e enormous change and many, many challenges over the last 20 years in terms of regulation, in terms of acceptance of a wider range of modalities. But also... Mm. What I'm very interested in is the convergence of all the modalities. And just as NLP started out trying to find out what are the common features that made particular psychotherapists much more um, successful in terms of their clients' outcomes, in terms of the promotion of well-being and recovery and people beginning to lead meaningful lives from what had seemed to be lives that were broken. Um, just as NLP started to really look at what are the common features, um, in the 21st century, psychotherapy is looking at a much more pluralistic model and finding that those psychotherapists who work in apparently contrasting modalities, that the people who have um, clients who find healing and recovering have much more in common with each other across the modalities than they do maybe with people in the same modality as them uh, yeah. who who maybe are, are not having as optimistic, what I call clinical optimism, uh, for, for their clients' possibilities. Yes, I, I, I respect and, and understand that. So NLP gives um, the psychotherapist not only some fantastic uh, work that they can do with clients, but also some kind of conceptual disciplines um, and ways of looking at the common features that maybe other psychotherapy models don't focus on so much. Mm. So we, we like to also refer to NLP as what we call a meta-discipline um, because it's a, it's a way of thinking about how do people do what they do um, in an excellent way, whether they're somebody who identifies um, in, in a different way of doing psychotherapy? There are actually far more common features than we sometimes want to admit. Yes, yes. And I guess uh, for our audience, that meta position is around, well, firstly, how they do things in the excellent way. Is that's the core around what makes a difference with NLP and the modelling of human excellence? This is it, Donna. And one of the things I like to um, say with my students is NLP isn't a set of inventions. It's an inventive way of discovering what's out there, what mm. human beings do naturally. 
and what it is to be a human being and living a full life. So very often when we watch somebody who we admire as a communicator who will have unconscious, non-verbal communication, for example, that uh, we might set about to, to study and learn and that they have learned in, a, in an implicit way um, over years of working with people. And so it's lovely modeling those people as well and using our skills in NLP to actually draw from them some of the knowledge that they don't even know that they have. Mm. Um, yeah. Yes, which is, is, is as, um, as empowering for the individual who's modeling, but it's also really empowering for the person who's being modeled when they, they, they do things because they do them. They don't realize how excellent they're doing them. And when you model someone and break down the actual strategies and what they're thinking about and why they do and why that's important and the way they've chosen to do it in that order, it's quite enlightening for them to know that those particular elements they could apply to other areas that aren't possibly at that same, that same level. Very much so, Donna. And I think also this is one of the reasons why that the skills of modeling, that, that heightened information gathering that um, NLP affords us is also one of the most valuable skills for any psychotherapist to learn. Mm. Um, and sometimes my psychotherapy colleagues um, express amazement at how quickly uh, clients are able to, to bring forward information about how they work with the world, about the strategies they have with the world, the belief systems, the values, the motivations which it might take them a little bit longer to be able to identify. Um, not because they haven't got as good rapport, but because NLP offers us skills of modeling the internal process of the client that are not so clear maybe in some other ways of working. Yeah, yeah that's true, very true. Well, well, the purpose, I guess, of today's interview, um, other than to share your exquisite knowledge, is to, is to look at um, the trauma and how we use um, the NLP and psychotherapy specifically to help um, patients with, um, with a history of trauma. Yes. In what way of what we've just um, spoken about, especially around the modeling and the gaining insights mm -hmm. into how people have chosen, because um, I've certainly found following a trauma, um, we often, well, I'm saying we, the person who suffered that trauma, mm -hmm. will often choose to do things in a certain way as a result of that trauma. So they almost learn new skills and new ways of coping and interacting with the world in order to protect themselves against um, their memories of what they've of, from the trauma that they've experienced. Yes, one of the things I think that uh, trauma does um, with with people's ongoing journey, life, and identity is that um, a, a traumatized state is often one which don't then step out and, and try a range and a repertoire of behaviors. When people mm. have been traumatized, it narrows down what feels safe. Yeah. And so, therefore, people tend to um, become more rigid in what behaviors and what learning they're able to acquire in life skills such as soothing the self after you've been upset or frightened or working through and processing feelings. Um, because if we have our world closed down and the lines over which we're, we've 
are able to feel safe to tread, become very confined. Then obviously the creativity to learn and find out new ways of uh, being and letting our own personality develop um, are restricted. So this can often result in people uh, using quite destructive behaviors to, um, to bring their emotional state into something that feels tolerable. So trauma does uh, actually often go hand in hand with addictive behaviors, um, abuse of alcohol, uh, dependent relationships, avoiding challenges, um, and all the accompanying low self-esteem that goes with that. Yes, it does. And half of um, the presentations that we'll see are those, um, as you say, those um, new behaviours that they find, they're new um, coping strategies, aren't they? So with things like alcohol, a lot of our, our work is not only identifying the trauma and working through that with the um, with the client, but also looking at the strategies that they've now formed, because that can often mask other strategies that they had before. So it's looking back as to what they could, could do before alcohol was a resource for them. Yes, and Often um, people are actually modeling the um, ineffective strategies of coping that were presented to them in their family and home environment. So one of the things that we know is that things like alcoholism are a hand-me-down condition. Now, there may be lots of genetic predispositions. um, However, there can also be those predispositions and some people find the resources to not succumb. So... Uh, we do need to also look in a preventive way about what's the difference between the person who comes from a traumatic background, and let's remember that growing up in an alcoholic family is growing up in a chaotic and neglectful uh, family, even if there hasn't necessarily been um, direct abuse. Um, and then the child looks to, to, well, what do the adults around me turn to? How do they deal uh, with with their difficulties? So. Um, in that sense as well, there, there could be a limitation in what, what seemed to be available. Yes, uh, there's a, a lot around that addictive personality, which there's no scientific um, evidence per se that qualifies the addictive personality. It does kind of uh, co-occur with personality disorders like denial or problems with emotional regulation and impulse regulation which is often something that is identified with people who have come from that background that have had that have been brought up where alcohol is a um, a, a coping strategy a resource for them. Yes, and let me give you uh one example Donna, for example from um research by Antonio Damasio um mm. who um I I very much recommend to your listeners to to take a look at if um they're looking for uh, the neuroscience to help them understand how it is that NLP is so effective. And one of the studies that Damasio did with um, substance-dependent individuals um, was actually looking at people's um, ability to make decisions and to read the road in terms of what's coming in the future and use feedback from um, behavioral experiments, if you like, um, to to learn, well, this is going to bring me a good result or this is not going to bring me a good result. And that people who were um, 
more likely to um, have experienced a, a, a traumatic environment, people who um, had struggled with um, entering their recovery were people who actually also had tremendous difficulty in using information to make future decisions. Now, one of the things that I found in working with um, people who were recovering from trauma is coming back to this um, uh, narrowed repertoire of behaviors because you're not wanting to make a mistake because your sense of confidence and your trust in the world is diminished, that it also means that the information that you're looking for in your life to give you guidance about what's the right way for you is obscured. It, it's like people haven't got the internal trust to understand their own feelings, values, to go into new territory, to learn new behaviors. And we all know that learning involves a degree of trying and, and not getting the results at first. And um, the person who's been traumatized has learned that it's not safe to make mistakes that it's not safe to try something and get feedback and then try it again because they've been humiliated or because there's been a certain amount of danger involved in, in you know, not meeting the mark, not meeting somebody else's expectations. So all of these things are, are systemically impacting uh, the yeah. person's sense of themselves. So one of the things about trauma is we... Um, in, in NLP, we have some fantastic work that we can uh, apply with dealing with flashbacks and dealing with um, the symptoms of PTSD of a specific event. However, a great deal of the impact of trauma is actually accumulative. It's just how it was in a person's environment. So the repeated subtle messages have actually become that person's identity and their narrative and what they now expect from the world. So sometimes it can be much more subtle for that person who may not necessarily be thinking that um, one particular traumatic event needs to be addressed. It, it could be that this has just become their expectation from life. Yeah. And they've no, they know no different and as well they don't look for anything different and if, if anything particularly positive does happen they see it as a, an off-the-cuff event rather than it being something that they've done very much that so self self-fulfilling prophecy they, they look for the negatives and then they justify the negatives because that's them well it's that world that they've um looked for and created absolutely donna um all of us in a way, are amateur philosophers. We create a map of the world that um, says this causes this, this causes this, this is the way things operate. And then we apply that story uh, to whatever happens to us. So, mm. you know, sometimes um, when people are uh, with me and they'll be telling me that some, something good happened to them or somebody was nice to them, um, but that was just them, you know, they're nice to everybody and I'll, and I'll challenge. So, so you're saying that person's got bad taste, that they're bestowing upon you something which, which clearly they wouldn't 
if uh, they had good taste in people. Um, so one of the things that I think is really, really important when we start working with trauma is a sense of humor. Um, and having, having the safety to be a bit ridiculous and return to what Milton Erickson called uh, the early learning set. Um, so that people can start to make experiments with life and begin to experience themselves as resourceful and get back a sense of humor about mm. being somebody trying out new things. I might say to people, you know, it's a very good thing that you learned how to walk before you learned how to talk. Because if you'd learned how to talk before you'd learned how to walk, you would have got up, you would have tried, you would have fallen on your bottom a couple of times and said, nah, walking, not for me, I've tried it. I'm just not a natural <laughs> at it. I, I, you know, I had a go, really, honestly, three, four, five times I fell over. You know, I'm going to leave it to the people who are naturally good at walking. Um, yeah. Whereas if the baby um, had that kind of mindset, then rather than being motivated by their passion to get up and reach out to the world and be fascinated, and I know you've got a little baby Donna, so I have, yeah. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, yes. He, he was desperate to get up and walk. He was so frustrated that he couldn't reach and get for himself and do and determined. Indeed. And that's our, our birthright as human yeah. beings. And yeah. so to reclaim that and to reclaim the fun and the wonder um, mm. uh, that, that, a, that a small child has, um, it for, for me is very much part also of connecting with the person not just at a, a cognitive and verbal level but also at a somatic level at a body level because when we're working with trauma Donna we can't analyze it away because no. it's not the analytic part of us that is connected to our fight flight and freeze system it's not and I think it's dangerous when people try to um, analyze it away or try to log logicalize it because we've created, even if we can verbally do that, the memories will link into our um, sympathetic and neurosympathetic um, system. So even when we're logically talking about it, if we are dissociated from in a verbal sense, we're still going to have those um, connections with the memory. So those feelings are being suppressed that have got to come out at some point. Yes, yes, I very much agree with that, Donna. One of the ways that I, I like to invite my uh, trainees to think about trauma is um, using the triune brain model of McLean. Yes, so, yes, I like that. Yeah, so very, very quickly, that model, um, which we use in NLP quite explicitly, is that... Millions of years ago, your great, 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 great grandparents had to come out of the sea and they needed to learn the very, very basics of survival, which were basically a stimulus response. And people will be aware of stimulus response from mainstream psychology, which we utilize a lot in NLP, um, which had to be a very, very simple program without any kind of intervention um, or mediating processes of any sort of complex thinking to just fight or flee or freeze or fold. And um, it's those programs that are actually 
running our emotional and physical response when we're dealing with trauma. However, we tell ourselves that this is about our personality. Uh, very often we dissociate even further because we say, oh, that's not me. You know, that's, norm that's not me. So then also we, we go into further denial and further shame and further hiding of those states that happen in, in the blink of an eye. Mm. Now, again, one of the, um, you know, one plus one always equals three. There's the relationship between the reptilian brain and the neocortex, the analytic brain, and, and guess what? We've, we've got a, a, a brain in between those two, which is the mammalian brain or the limbic brain. And mm -hmm. that brain's job is to form relationship and form attachment. And human beings are hardwired to love and be loved and to seek love and to seek relationship and seek affirmation from others of their kind. So in the work that we do as um, psychotherapists at using NLP is that we activate all three brains working at, at the same time so that they are in harmony rather than in conflict with each other. Mm. And we do that by um, the, the processes that we use that create sensory experience internally and externally uh, that make new associations for the reptilian brain to respond to. The, the limbic brain, we, we stimulate, obviously through relationship with uh, the therapist, but essentially our job is to make ourselves redundant. Our job is uh, for that client to be able to move independently from the therapy into the world and make healthy relationships. So... Sometimes that has to be done, first of all, through using a person's imagination because the person who's been traumatized and felt they're not good enough for relationships, they're not good enough to be loved, might find it too threatening to attempt to um, form relationships in the world where, of course, there are going to be other people in the world who, who have uh, different ideas. <laughs> um, mm. We're not in control of whether or not people will, will love us back. So in NLP, we can use our imaginations to create mentors and sponsors. Um, I tap into a lot of uh, Native American work uh, using animal totems and symbols that yeah. um, give complete free reign for a person to experience being in a safe relationship with somebody who can love them unconditionally and, and give them resources. And then the third brain, um, the neocortex, is a storyteller. It's a compulsive storyteller and searches for meaning, which is why we can sometimes get it so wrong in, in the kind of example you gave, Donna, about um, how people dismiss good things that have happened to them mm. or they make yeah. a self-fulfilling prophecy. They say, this is the story of my life. You'll often hear that. Mm. And so part of the... Um, uh, recovery from trauma is also about creating a new, healthy, meaningful narrative. So the story doesn't stop at, at the trauma. The story continues. So 
so that you begin to know yourself as somebody who triumphed, somebody who truly came into this world with the resources uh, that they needed um, and as such has now become a, a vessel of resources that they can contribute to the world around them too so that they can feel that they have a, a, a worthwhile place in the world. It's very powerful. Very, very powerful. It's extremely powerful. And I have to say, Donna, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll sit with a client and I'll hear a story and I will feel so humbled. Yeah. Um, and humbled by this person's courage to, mm. to come and work. Um, and sometimes I just have to remember that the fact that they've come for help means within them somewhere there, there is hope and there is resilience. Yeah. And connecting with that, with the person who, who's unable to see their worth and goodness, um, is a constant reminder of, of, of how good it is to be a human being. It is. <laughs> you took me to a place there, Pamela. <laughs> Oh, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> you have. Yeah. You teach this at your, your summer school, don't you? Could you tell our audience about that? Ah, yes. Well, the summer school, is, um, it's been put together really to meet a need of, of many people who have um, acquired various skills um, as uh, people working with people in psychotherapy and recovery, also people in counselling and coaching. Um, and the summer school is addressing really three interconnected issues, which are addiction, trauma, and the depression-anxiety connection. So with addiction, we're, we're looking at those repetitive um, behaviors and patterns that in fact are not just keeping the person stuck, they're actually deteriorating that person's condition because the process of addiction is never still. It's either in recovery or it's getting worse. Mm. Um, and uh, so the, the first unit of the summer school is working successfully with addiction. The second unit is working creatively with trauma. Um, very, very often as people are releasing those stuck behaviors, they're ready to begin to, to work on uh, that some of the things that have not only perhaps influence the development of the addiction but also the trauma of the addiction if i've been in a codependent relationship for several years step into the world of power loyalty and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.